0: I came here today to deliver a message that I hope will bring some hope to every single one of you. Now, before we jump all the way in, I wanna to talk to a very specific group of people. Uh, you're the kind of people who you have a friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus right now. And there's some real hurt there, a lot of heartache. You've prayed uh, a lot of prayers, you've made a lot of invitations, but none of those invitations have seemed to pan out. And you just find yourself living out your faith, but wishing desperately that they had a faith too. And what I wanna do is I just wanna pray a little prayer over all the people that kind of find themselves in that category. And before I pray over you, I wanna give you three verses. Uh, all of these verses, you know. Uh, first one, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. When you are praying to God about the person that you love to find a relationship with God, I want you to know you're praying to a God who sent his son to die on their behalf. Second Verse. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The goal of our good God is to bring people into a right relationship with him. That's who you're praying to. Last one, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority. Why is all this? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Would you let me pray over you? Heavenly Father, you know the names and the stories of every single person that is on the minds of the people in this room. God, you know they're hurt, you know their heartache. God, you know what it's gonna take for them to have a spiritual breakthrough. You know what it's gonna be required in order for them to fall in love with you and to follow you and be obedient to you. And God, I pray that you as would give us through your Holy Spirit, the power and the strength to hang on, to keep living a life that exemplifies you, that we would indeed be a city on a hill. In your name I pray, amen. I titled my message today, It Takes Time. Turn to your neighbor and say, it takes time. At the crossing, we talk about the spiritual spectrum. That every person you meet is somewhere on this spiritual spectrum. Um, from minus five all the way to plus five. Minus five is they hate Jesus. They hate God. They hate church. They might even hate you. All the way to plus fives. Um, Minus fives or minus twos, they might be, uh, they go to church every so often, but they got pretty drunk last night. And you need those people. Otherwise, church would get pretty boring. Right? (laughs) Then you got to have like your plus ones, plus twos, and then you got your plus fives. You guys are going, I don't know if I know a plus five. You do know a plus five. Plus five is your grandma. Your grandma's a plus five. You've never heard her testimony because she doesn't have one. She never sinned. She somehow made it from the 50s to the 70s without doing anything in the 60s. And if she did, she's not talking about it, okay? And you got to have a place for everybody here at your church. Here at Northeast, there's got to be a place for everybody on the spiritual continuum. And some of you, you know somebody in in the minus five, and you would love for them to be like a minus four. And it takes longer than you want. They might be a minus three. And you're like, oh my goodness, I would love for them to be a zero. And that, well that takes, that takes time. In fact, so many of the good things in life take time. I'm gonna have you guys help me out here with this one. There's some of you right now. You're in diaper hell. (laughs) You had a kid. And you're putting food in one end. And it just keeps coming out in miraculous ways on the other end. In forms that you didn't even know were possible. And you're thinking to yourself, man, when am I, get, when is this going to stop? And those of us who've been there before, we would look at you and we would say, it takes time. Time. And some of you are going, I can't wait till I get out of this baby stage because then my life will get so easy. <laughs> oh, sucker, you are on a pain train. Because once you get them out and they start walking on their own, you'll be late everywhere. You don't even know that I'm not the pastor at this church. You just think Tyler's gained some weight and lost and stopped going to CrossFit. Like that's what you think is going. On. It's because you don't even know things. Like, you try and get your kids ready every single day to, to take them to school. And you're like, how did you forget to put pants on? We've been putting pants on the same way every day. Right foot, left foot, stupid. Let's get it together. And they're just walking around like, you don't, like they've never been dressed before. It's because kids, when they sleep, they get amnesia. They forget everything you taught them the day before. That's why they always say, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. You're not, You're not supposed to drink milk out of the jug. Oh, sorry, I forgot. It's because every night when they go to sleep, they just reset and you have to start all over. It's like 50 first dates, but it's for parenting. It's insanity. There's there's some of you, uh, you. You got a dog. We got a quarantine dog. You know, during the quarantine, when everybody had their government money and they had too much free time on their hands and they got tired of spending time with their family? Yeah, so we bought a dog. And uh, we got a dog. We got one of those golden doodles, which is dumb. And uh, and they 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 said they said they're so smart. No, they're not. They're a dog. <laughs> There's no IQ test for dogs. Anyhow, so we have this dog, and I don't like it. And we're doing the potty training thing, and it was driving me nuts. And people would say to me all the time, "Dog." man's best friend. No, not my best friend. And I'll tell you why. Because I could never, I don't know anybody, any of my friends, who I could go to their house, poop in their yard, they would pick it up and go, good boy. I'll tell you what, I'm that dog's best friend. I can tell you that much for sure. And you would tell me if I was in the throes of trying to potty train my dog, you would say, don't give up, Clayton, because it takes, ladies, ladies, When you met your husband, he says it was love at first sight, but you and I know different. Because if he'd have got down on one knee the first night when he met you, you'd have said no. He had to wear you down. (laughs) And after he had worn you down, he got down on his knee, and you said okay. Because he knows to get a girl to fall for a guy takes time. Fellas, you might be getting hungry right now. And going, you know what, when I go home today, I want some meat to eat. And I understand that. It's a good decision. And you know, at best you can have a steak, and at worst you could have a hamburger. But you know what you're not going to have for lunch today? You're not going to have ribs. And You're not going to have brisket. Because both of those things, if you're a man, you know that good barbecue takes time. Then how come is it when it comes to spiritual development, we are always in a hurry? Why is that? I want to take you through a great story in Luke chapter 5. And at the end of that story, I'm going to encourage you all to become a church that gives people time. In a world of microwaves, Pop-Tarts, K-Cups, and high-speed Wi-Fi, we can get so impatient. Our hope is that after the very first invite, after the very first service, after the very first sermon, that the people would respond that we care about. However, oftentimes... It takes time. And in Luke chapter five, you find the story of the calling of Peter or the calling of Jesus' disciples. And there was something about that story that I had always read wrong. It wasn't the story that I read wrong, but it was the events around the story that I had read wrong. Uh, Let me show it to you. Luke chapter five, verse one through 11. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge... Two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, another name for him is Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So the crowd around Jesus is pushing in so close, Jesus keeps walking back and all of a sudden, his ankles find themselves in the water and so he hops up in the boat and begins to preach to the people. By pushing further out into the boat, he takes the thousand hills around the sea of Tiberias and the the lake of Gennesaret and he turns it into a makeshift amphitheater and he begins to teach. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Let's zero in on Peter here a little bit. When I think of Peter, this is what comes to my mind. Peter is what I call a blue collar baller. He's wearing camo cargo shorts He's got his Crocs in four wheel drive. He's wearing a Salt Life fishing shirt and Maui Jim sunglasses. He's a small business owner who just bought a brand new F-350 and vinyled his company logo on the side. He has strong, thick calloused hands, a wind-burnt face and a set of shoulders and biceps that are accustomed to heavy loads. (coughs) He played fullback and linebacker at his high school and got offers at several small D2 schools. Getting up early and working hard is what he's done his whole life. Make no mistake about it. He's not fishing for fun. This isn't vacation. He's a fisherman. And the only way his family eats is when he catches. He's carrying the full weight of the business, and he spent the whole night, and he has nothing to show for it. Let's get into his mental space for just a second. Have you ever worked hard and had nothing to show for it? Ladies, you were getting ready for this weekend and you had big plans. This was going to be the weekend, the weather was going to be nice, we were going to open up the windows, we were going to clean them out real good, both sides of the glass, it was going to be great, and we were going to shift from our spring, fall, or our spring and summer clothes to our fall clothes, and we were going to bring them up out of the basement and rearrange everything. And we were going to get a couple of things dialed in as we get ready for some of the holidays, and here you are listening to my sermon right now, and you're like, I didn't get any of it done. Fellas, you've had one of those weekends? where you just had one small project on the house you're supposed to fix and you went to Home Depot and you got the wrong thing, but you didn't know you had the wrong thing at Home Depot. You had to drive all the way home to figure that out. And then you're like, okay, now I know what I need. And so you go all the way back to Home Depot and you get another wrong thing and you go all the way home and you find out and then you go back there and then you realize that you don't have the receipt for the wrong thing that you purchased, and so now you gotta figure out how, and then you just go, I'm not fixing it. You just go home and tell your family, pee in the yard! But take the dog out when you do. Right? You've, you're just, Nothing's going right. You haven't got anything that you wanted done, done. And here's Peter, cleaning the nets. That's gotta be the worst part of fishing especially when you catch no fish. Cleaning the nets after a long night of nothing. But he did so, verse six. And they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They said to Simon, don't be afraid. Or then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. It was in this moment that Peter makes the decision to follow Jesus. I think it's interesting to note that he didn't follow Jesus on his worst day. He followed Jesus after his best day. This was an incredible catch. Everything is going right now. He didn't choose to follow Jesus after he lost his job, after he got his divorce, after he got picked up by the police, after he fought with his kids. He followed Jesus after he won the lottery. Like everything's going great. And then I'm gonna leave everything that's going great and I'm gonna follow the one who made it great. And for so long, I thought this experience with Peter was exclusive to this moment with Peter. That this was Peter and Jesus's first interaction with one another. And that's how I thought it would be for me. That the first time I brought someone to church that the first time that they heard the sermon would be the day that they would decide to follow Jesus. Although after further understanding of the scriptures, I realized that Peter's story is way more beautiful than that. So for those of you who are church people, I got something for you today. Peter has seen Jesus in action before. Peter was a follower of John the Baptist. Peter was there when Jesus showed up to John the Baptist to get baptized. Some of you are going, hold on, does that mean, yeah. That means Peter was there when the heavens parted, a dove descended, and a voice from above said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's my God voice. (laughs) And guess what Peter did? Peter went back to fishing. Peter was there when Jesus met with the Samaritan woman at the well. And said, one of these days my worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. And she ran into town and said, come and see the man who tells me everything that I've ever done. And since they were a bunch of gossips and knew she had a story, they came out to find out. And that's when Jesus says these words. Look, the field is white for the harvest, but the workers are few. And Peter went back to fishing. He was there when Jesus walked into the temple, turned over the tables and said, my father's house will be a house of prayer. And Peter went back to fishing. He was there when Jesus did his first miracle in Cana, when he turned water into wine and Peter went back to fishing. Say it with me now. Sometimes it takes time. Peter met with Jesus, saw the power of Jesus, saw the miracles of Jesus, and went back fishing until one day was the right day. And then he never looked back. You know what's interesting is I should have known this because that's actually how it's worked in my life. Uh, I want you to meet Lisa Lisa attended our Macomb campus and she showed up an event where we were pairing college girls with uh, adult women to create mentorships. And she got paired with my wife. Now Lisa has had a rough go at it. Her mom died when she was 10, her father was not a good dude and so she was dealing with the damage of, uh, of, of that reality. And so she started hanging out with my wife and my wife said, which is a Christian thing to say, My wife said, I love you, Lisa. And Lisa said, don't say that to me, that ain't right. And so Jennifer's like, well, what can I say? Can I say I care about you? And Lisa said, "Uh, no, no, we're not doing that. And so they went back and forth and they settled on I know you. So this is what they could say. Jennifer could look at Lisa and go, I know you, Lisa. And Lisa would say, I know you, Jennifer. And that was their weird women talk for how they were doing their stuff. And so they started meeting all the time. And then, uh, then one day Jennifer informed me that Lisa was moving into our house. Uh, things had kind of changed and financially, Lisa needed a place to stay, otherwise she was gonna get out of college. And this isn't new, we've always had people living in our house because we think it's weird as Christians for us to have a house that has rooms that nobody sleeps in when people need a place to sleep. And so we've always, we got rules and regulations, but we always let people stay. And I never met Lisa until I was eating a bowl of Fruit Loops and she walked into the house and I'm like, mm, I know you. <laughs> so Lisa's living in my house. Well, then Jennifer and I, we get asked to move to a different one of our communities to take on a different role. And so the guy that I raised up to take over my spot, we said, hey, do you got a free spot in your house? And so Lisa stopped living with us and started living with them. And so they're living with them and things are going great. Uh, And So they're living with this new couple named Ben and Jessica Elifords, which are incredible people. And all of a sudden, uh, Lisa, um, her faith is growing. She's following Jesus, it's going great. And then she meets Don. Now, uh, you guys gotta see Don. Now, you need to know this about Don. Don is one of the best men I've ever met. He is a man with unbelievable integrity. He's a good man, and he's an atheist. And so, uh, we start, you know what I mean, for a Christian's an atheist, this is gonna be, I mean, It's like stink bait at a catfish convention. We're pretty fired up about it. And uh, everything we tried wasn't working. Every conversation, every prayer, every book, every discussion, nothing. Yeah, pretty frustrating. And then Don showed up and said uh, to Jennifer and I and to Ben and Jessica, and he asked for permission to marry Lisa because Lisa had basically allowed us to become her spiritual parents. And Don doesn't love Jesus and Lisa does. And Don has enough integrity to go, I'm not gonna just say I love Jesus to make everything better for everybody. I have some serious questions that haven't been resolved. A Couple months later, they're getting ready to move to uh, Washington, D.C and uh, they don't wanna live in sin, and so they decide they wanna at least honor God and get married. And so Ben does a private ceremony for them, and they head off. And Ben Elefritz keeps talking to them, and keeps talking to Don, and doing Bible studies, and having conversations, and navigating all the issues that Don is going through. Now, I need to stop and say this, and Ben would tell you this. I'm smarter than Ben when it comes to the Bible. I am. I went to Bible college for it. I learned all the words you're supposed to learn, did all the studies you're supposed to study. Ben was a middle school principal, and he's a really good, he's smarter at everything else than me, but I'm smarter at the Bible than him. And do you know that it wasn't any of my conversations with Don that were really like moving the needle? It was his conversations with Ben. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I know that sometimes you think if If my friend could just have a conversation with Tyler, then that would, I get it. Or if I could get my friend in front of a staff member, then they would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, but can I tell you something about God? And you're gonna love this. He's equipped you to be the pastor. He's made you the pastor in your home, in your car, in your marriage, in your parenting. You're the pastor of your neighborhood, your street, your block, your workplace. He has put his gifts inside of you, his spirit inside of you for you to be the pastor. I bet you never thought about that. That sometimes it's not the conversation with the smartest person biblically, but the person who's most spiritually, relationally connected to them that makes all the difference in the world. What if God wasn't trying to use me or Tyler, but God was actually trying to use you? Interestingly enough, my faith has always grown the fastest when I'm trying to answer a question for a person, I'm trying to reach the hardest. Maybe the reason you're stalling out in your faith is because you don't have a person you're trying to show Jesus to. Anyhow, that's not the story, let's keep going. So then at Thanksgiving, Everybody comes in and we're, we're rednecks. So it's a big hoopla. And on Friday, everybody's there. There's about, uh, there was, I don't want to say, the number, of, there was over 50 people at my house that day. And all of a sudden I get the message um, that we need to go to Kirkuk, which is one of our campuses. It's about 20 minutes away. And we get there and this happens. Ben and Lisa baptize Dawn and I <laughs> Northeast Christian Church say it with me now sometimes it takes You know what I should have known that because that's how it was with me Do you know how long my parents had to drag my butt to church before I got Jesus down in my heart? There was a lady named Dell. She had thick glasses and gray hair and she wore a tie-dye Jesus volleyball shirt. She worked at the Schaefer Pen Company where she put ink cartridges in pens her whole life. So Monday through Friday she was putting ink in pens, not that glamorous of a life, but you know what she did every Sunday? I'm not saying every other, once a month. She wasn't one of those volunteers. Every Sunday, from kindergarten through sixth grade, she was teaching me about Jesus. There's a guy by the name of Ken Morrow. Ken Morrow was an electrical engineer ahead of his time. In the 80s, he had built a device where he could start his car, change the temperature on his car from a remote He could also turn the thermostat around in his house and turn the lights on and lock the doors. He eventually installed that same stuff that he made into our church because our church was small and had a bunch of lazy people in it and he didn't want to have to leave and come and lock the door every so often so he could just press a button and just turn our church into a safe room. So he had to get out when it started uh, beeping. He's like, I gotta go because he was gonna lock her down. And you know what Ken did? That's what he did by day. Do you know what he did on weekends? He teached my Sunday school class when I was in high school. On January 1st, we'd start in the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. And at the end of the year, December 31st, we'd finish up on the last chapter of Acts. And do you know what we would do? For the entire year, we would just go through the book of Acts. And at the end of every month, there would be a quiz. And if you got all three questions right, this is what they should do for you guys at the end of the service. If you got all the questions right, you got three bucks. Now I got you. And if you got... If you got a couple answers right, you got two bucks. And if you got your name right, you got a dollar. And I was so excited to go to church once a month because I knew I was gonna make a dollar, right? The reason he took us through the book of Acts is because he wanted us to know what it was like to build a church that was honoring God. That's what Ken did. And it was sometime after that that I decided to go into full-time ministry. Sometimes it just takes time. If it takes time, that means that there has to be a place that gives people that time. There needs to be a group of people who are adequately resourced, who will give of the gifts that God has given them to keep the lights on, the water running, the toilet paper restocked, the staff employed, and the communion juice fresh. There has to be a place with people who are going, I want to serve the way God has served me. And so they love on the kids, greet people at the door, welcome them at the welcome center, put their hand on them during a time of prayer, fist bumps them at the door, gives them a smile and a coffee, helps lead the worship, run the graphics, play the instruments, and bangs on heaven's door for the lost children of God to be found. There has to be a church that steps into the mess, is long-suffering, patient with their questions, caring in their approach, rooted in truth, covered in grace. There has to be a place because it takes time. There's no surprise to me then that the fruit of the Spirit that God gives you, when you come into a right relationship with Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit produces fruit, And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. What? (laughs) How did that get in there? It's as if God knew it was going to take longer than you wanted it to. And so he gave you a long-suffering, patient spirit to contend with the pain. Is it any surprise that when God describes love, the first description he uses is love is What? It was there all the time. That there has to be a church, there has to be a place that gives people time. There has to be a church that is gonna love on people who don't dress like you, act like you, think like you, or even believe like you. There has to be that place. Isn't it interesting that in the parable of the sower, The seed that sprang up the fastest died the quickest. But the seed that took a long time to come out was the seed that had the harvest of 30, 60, and 100. I'm from farm country. I'm wearing work boots. And you know, the dumbest farmer in the world plants on Monday and gets his combine out on Tuesday because a harvest, a good harvest takes time and there has to be a place that is going to give and love and lead and serve and leverage who God created them to be to pastor their community to give the community time to come into fellowship with him and I say it's here I say it's with us, I say it's now, and I say it's because of you. You can give people the time they need to find Jesus. That's why he writes in Galatians chapter six, verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good. Don't stop giving, don't stop serving, don't stop loving. Don't stop praying, don't stop inviting, don't stop shining. Do not become weary in doing good for at the proper time. We'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Louisville needs a church that's gonna give people time and it's gonna take every single one of you to do it. And some of you are going, but Clayton, I don't like you anymore. (laughs) Because I brought my friend to church today and you just gave them the infinite permission slip. All right, let me be your boy for a second. If you're in here today and you don't, you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet one, you picked a cool church to come to. And this church is gonna give you time to help you find the right relationship with Jesus but can I talk to you for just a second? I'm gonna use the other people in the room, but just pay attention to me. This is a true statement about my life, that the single greatest decision that I ever made was to start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, for Christians speak, it would be uh, to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. And if you would say that the best decision you ever made was that decision, would you just give me a small, like, hand up? Okay, okay, I just wanna make sure. Okay, put your hand down. It's not about you. And, and you know what else I would tell you? And this is going to catch you off guard. But my biggest regret is that I didn't do it sooner. How many of you guys would uh, back me up on that? So for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are, you are sitting in a sea of testimonies of people who are claiming these two things to be true that the single greatest decision that they ever made was to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, and their biggest regret is that they didn't do it sooner. And you're going, but Clayton, I don't have everything figured out yet. I want you to know, neither do I. I don't have everything about God figured out yet. There is no way I'm ever gonna get all of his awesome infiniteness into my stupid finiteness. I can't. There are things about God that I don't get and I don't understand. Deep struggles that I have with how he operates and when he does what he does, that I don't get, I still don't get. For instance, this is one recently for me. The apostle Paul had the Holy Spirit working on him in such a profound way that he could take his own handkerchief and he could pass it around and people were healed just by touching Paul's handkerchief. And then Paul cries out to God about a thorn in his own flesh. And three times he cries out to God, deliver me from the thorn in my flesh. And God says, no. If I was Paul, I'd be like, come on, man. Can I touch my own handkerchief at least? How come I can do in everybody else's life what I can't do? in my own? How come I can win everybody else's kid to Jesus, but I can't can't win my own? How, How come I got all the marriage advice for every other young couple, but I don't have any advice for my own? There's Paul doing great things for God, healing everybody else, but there's no healing for himself. There's a lot of things about God that I don't get. But I got to the point where I knew enough. Let me explain it to you this way. Fellas, help me out here. Just the men. Raise your hand if you've uh, figured out everything there is to know about a woman. But raise your hand if you knew enough that you wanted one. That'll preach right there, won't it? I didn't have everything figured out about Jennifer. I didn't have everything figured out about women, but I knew enough that I wanted one. I liked the way I felt when she walked in the room. I liked the way she looked at me. I liked the way that when we were interacting with one another, she took the rough edges off of me. I liked that when I was in her presence, I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to love differently and treat people differently. I didn't have everything figured out. I just knew that I wanted, I wanted her in my life. And that, I kid you not, you could lay that over my relationship with Jesus. I didn't have everything figured out about him and I still don't. But knowing him has made all the difference for me. If you knew what he took me from, if you knew what he saved me from, if you knew what he restored in me and changed in me, you would understand. One of my favorite, man, I get teary out when I think about this verse. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, book of, uh, well, Romans uh, 5.8, says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hold on. That means that Jesus was at his best when I was at my worst. That means that before I said I'm sorry, before I preached my first sermon, before I sang my first worship song, before I walked into church for the very first time, he had already paid the debt that I owed. When I was at my worst, my God was at at his best. For me, That was all I needed to know. And there might be somebody in here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to put it off. There's gonna be people on the sides of the stage that would love a chance to talk with you and pray with you and help you start your spiritual journey. To the rest of you, in the waiting, the painful waiting of it takes time. I'm gonna encourage you to spend a little bit of time praying. Maybe it's uh, grandparents praying over their grandkids. Maybe it's parents praying over their kids. Maybe it's a spouse praying over the fact that their spouse doesn't come to church with them anymore. At my church, we Tebow. We get down on one knee right where we're at and we just talk to God and maybe some of you wanna do that. But I pray that when you leave here today, you will leave with a commitment to give people time. God bless you.